What is up, brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Mitch Grace Show. Another awesome episode ready for you today and another eventful um, journey in getting to this conversation. Uh, as always, it never fails. So the uncontrollables in life uh, tend to present themselves when we least need them. So I have with me today my new friend. Um, I have a feeling is going to become a good friend, Mr. Lee Chambers. Lee, welcome to the Mitch Gray Show. Hey, it's great to be on today, Mitch. Yeah, we had uh, we had some eventful times trying to connect. The other day, my electricity kept flashing on and off in my studio. And it wasn't just me, by the way, for those thinking, did Mitch pay his electric bill? Yes, the electric bill was paid. It was across the whole town. We had a windstorm. So thanks for being patient with us, man, and rescheduling. And I'm excited for our conversation. So, Yeah, that's, that's all what life's all about. Yeah. Sometimes it's just not going to give you what you want. But you get there in the end. Right. And we were the crazy guys that were going to try and still record during an electrical outage. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that inner resilience shining through. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, Lee, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, kind of what made you want to come on the show and where you're at in life right now and how are things going? Yeah. So, it's an interesting time at the minute. And obviously, COVID has taken my new business which is essentialized a coaching and workplace well-being company into uncharted territory and throw me into the uh into the worldwide straight away and to be honest i was i've only been set up with this particular business for a year i do have another business which i've been running for 12 years but this particular business was i was very much focusing on cutting my teeth locally mm. and delivering a lot to local business and then all of a sudden covid's come along and that's like right it's time to innovate, it's time to get creative, time to get all my physical assets digital and get that hybrid delivery going. So yeah, it's been a great time. And for me personally as well, um, next week I'll come off of medication after six years. So that's a really big milestone on my journey. And I'll happily tell you a bit more about that later in the episode. But yeah, good place. Life is challenging. You can't control external events, but you can help control exactly what's going on with you. Yeah, it's exactly right, man. I've, I've been telling people since the beginning of this COVID issue that it's during these times of life that the innovators begin to thrive. And if you're, if you're a traditionalist and you're going to keep doing things the same old way, at some point that's not going to work. And what I've seen and, and the honor that I've had interviewing people on the show is the world is full of innovative people. And it's full of innovators with idealism. And I think you're right there, man. So tell tell the people what you have going. What what are you innovating during this time of uncertainty that's uh, kind of taking you to the next level? Yeah, so I'm, I'm quite enjoying this time. So I'm an environmental psychologist, and that's my disciplinary educational background. But I've got a real passion for workplace well-being. So in terms of what we've been looking to innovate with, Obviously, at the moment, we can do digital health assessments. Mm -hmm. I've been running digital workshops. I lost a number of speaking events, but some of them have flipped and become online conferences, mm -hmm. which has been good. And I think the biggest innovation we're looking at is building 3D environments using VR and doing environmental psychology assessments for the future of offices. Instead of building an office physically, we're actually building it digitally and then navigating around and trying to work out where the environmental stresses will be, what the workflow is like, how congruent it is with the roles of the people who will be populating that office. And we can now prevent office design issues that 
we sometimes have to go in and fix retrospectively by actually building those worlds beforehand and starting to look at how we can prevent tomorrow's problems today and that's the biggest real interest for me going forward because what i know is we haven't had a really big crisis like this since the economic crash in 2008 right well when you actually look at it what was born out of that crash Mm -hmm. Uber and Airbnb, Mm -hmm. two companies who decided to be innovative and absolutely disrupted two worldwide traditional big industries in a big, big Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And I think what is going to grow out of this COVID crisis, your small to medium sized enterprises who are thinking outside the box, breaking that status quo, there could be Uber or Airbnb in the world in a few years time. So you've got to have that mindset, forward thinking. What are the challenges of the future? The future of work is going to bring up lots of challenges, mm-hmm. lots of problems, and a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. So start looking, future casting. Bring it back. Start with the end in mind. So you're telling us that this idea of building something through um, a, a, you know, what all the technology, basically, if you put it all together, of, of not, you know, back in the day when computers first came out, so let's go even further than that. It's, it was only blueprints. You still have blueprints, you know, it went from physical to digital. And then when computer programs came out, they were able to build things on computers. But you're talking about being able to build uh, something that is so much to scale digitally and through technology that you can actually identify the issues that, that could come into play. Talk about yeah that that's incredible, man. When you really start, you know, one one thing I think about specifically, talking about uh, disrupting the system is the school setting, the educational setting. Schools are not set up; they're not conducive for learning at all. And so, this idea of when new schools are being built to actually apply what you're talking about and say, okay, how can we set this up to the most advantageous perspective for a student and an educator? That's incredible, man, when you really start putting application to that. Yeah, the, the opportunities are massive. And when you kind of look, like my focus is around workplaces, but this is going to need to be applied not just to workplaces, but to home environments. Just start to think more and more people are going to be working flexibly from home. Mm-hmm. So homes become more than somewhere to relax and live. They're going to start to become somewhere where you might potentially educate, where you're quite likely to work from. And if you actually look at the moment, people spend 100 hours of a week either in a sleep environment or a workplace environment. That's two thirds of your life in environments that people don't often optimize. And so many workplaces are designed by architects who've gone to school and learned certain design philosophies and then come and implant them into the, the design, have an office a certain way, Quite often they quite like it to look good for the portfolio right, right, right. and to make people happy and then it's boards who sign it off mm-hmm. financiers who decide the budgets mm-hmm. and facilities who install it and so often it doesn't actually ever go through to the end user mm. and the end user then spends eight hours in that space having to do a job mm-hmm. where they've not contributed a significant amount so a lot of what we do is around social design. We get the end users and say, what do you need? Right. What do you want? What will be congruent for your job? How will it flow 
for what you do. You're there every day. What what are going to be the little things that keep ticking you off? Yeah. What right? Is it is it designed in a way that a visitor could walk in and know where they were going? Yeah. Because in so many ways, if there's not a natural flaw to it, then humans just mm-hmm. it's an environmental stress. And then we're looking at the lighting, the temperature, the noise, the ventilation, the density. It's got to be designed with end users in mind and end users have different environmental needs but at what point in an office design do you actually say right so Dave is going to sit here because he likes it where it's a bit cooler mm-hmm. and a bit darker and Sally's going to sit over here because she likes it a bit warmer and a bit lighter mm-hmm. it's like no here are the desks here are the chairs you sit there you sit there right right, right. yeah and, and not only that you start pulling in the idea you know probably about 10 to 12 years ago there were a few workplaces that that, that had this bright idea to implement some healthy eating and some physical activity during the workday. There were very few. And over the years, that's kind of, you know, kind of become a thing where people are saying, okay, we have our people here eight to 10 hours a day. You know, Google was kind of the leader where they started creating, you know, napping pods and they started creating these cool things. The issue though is when you're talking about a physical workplace is you're trying to implement new idealism and real human behavior inside of a building that wasn't set up for sustainable essential human behavior. It just it just wasn't I still walk into buildings now that have no windows. Like like <laughs> that should be the most elementary thing in a building is windows and natural light. So how do you see it uh, transitioning from we have all these buildings that aren't equipped for the lifestyle we're talking about? Like, like what's one thing, since we're on the subject, what's one thing off the top of your, your, your mind that you could think of to go, okay, you're dealing with an older building. What's something we could do to begin kind of transitioning into a, a more substantial lifestyle? Yeah, so I mean, so often, you can't tend to smash down buildings right. and start again. <laughs> right. You don't get, unfortunately, you don't get the budget for that. But what you find is there's really, really often simple adaptations and things quite often need updating. And you'll find you'll go into an office and it'll be dark. Mm-hmm. And yet they've just blinded the windows, the skylights blocked off. It's like the natural light is there. Mm-hmm. But so often the, the solutions are simple. And when I'm going into places and they're saying, we haven't got the budget for this, I'm like, I'm going to walk around and find 10 things that you can do. For free. That cost you $500 yeah. and probably make your staff twice as happy. Right. And it's so, so simple. Yeah. But what it actually comes down to, and you make a really relevant point, a lot of older buildings are not congruent with the messages that are trying to be put out. But what I'm actually finding more so is that what's more important is that workers are inspired mm-hmm. and have hope in the leadership mm-hmm. and that the leadership is actually congruent. So they're not telling them you've got to eat healthy mm-hmm. while keeping the vending machines there and not actually promoting it beyond that initial like awareness. So when the company actually is purposeful and that leadership is conscious, the values are lived, not just written, and people then start to become more engaged and more motivated and in all truth, an employee's health behaviours is their responsibility. But if they can leave the office in a place of wellness that's as high as when they came in, then they will go home and cook the food and go to bed on time. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of getting that message across. You can't tell your employees what to do. You need to inspire and empower them to behave in a more optimal way. But that comes from them being inspired 
and feeling that they're part of the company's purpose and the company's journey. And they're actually not just going to work for a paycheck, but they're going to work to make a difference to the world. Yeah, so really what you're identifying is culture, is a, yeah. a culture where, um, you know, because I've seen a lot of companies make this mistake is they say, okay, we, we, want, a, we want a wellness program. We want to implement something that's going to help our people. So they do pull the blinds or maybe they fill the soda machine with water and whatever else and they change, but, but they never really implement the change that's necessary. And the change that's necessary is what you just said, inspiration and empowerment. In other words, if you're still expecting your worker to work for very low wages and do a job they don't enjoy that doesn't fit their skill set, it doesn't matter if you create the coolest building in the world, they're still going to be miserable. And it's that it's that um, empathy toward your employees that says we're going to create a culture where you're empowered, you're a part of the larger vision, we're going to match your skill set with what's going to help our company grow. And then everything else follows suit. I just feel like sometimes we get the wrong things to become priority and we never get the right things to become priority. Yeah, and that, that's so right because a big part of what I see is that at the very, very base level of an employee's well-being is two very simple things. Appreciation mm -hmm. for the work that they do yes, and some element of autonomy in their role. So it's having that bit of choice and that bit of praise that's not there it doesn't matter how much you invest in external wellness and well-being because it's trying to look at something in isolation it's like trying to take a pill but then getting 10 side effects yes it's workplace is integrated so in, in so many ways you're kind of looking at that and realizing that firstly if you get the culture right any external wellness that comes in is amplified because the culture resonates and therefore what comes in people are more absorbent people are more adaptive to it and it's it's quite a it's quite a difficult thing to sometimes get across that organizational culture it actually starts internally yes and that that alignment with those values that are then lived day to day decisions pass through that lens and we start to see actually the company cares about not just the investors, but society, the customers and the clients, the partners and collaborators, us as employees. The investors are still cared about because at the end of the day, companies need profit to be sustainable. And the more profit they make, the more they can impact the world. And I quite often go in there and say, look, it sounds, sometimes it comes across and it sounds like you're saying, what about what about the shareholders? Mm. They need the value. And what I'm saying is, okay, so a business has profit. Profits are vital. But let's look at it like this. A human being has red blood cells. You need red blood cells to live. Mm. A business needs profit to live. But human beings don't live for red blood cells. Right. And a business shouldn't live for profit. Right. And if you want to expand and grow your profit, create a healthy culture. Profit is a byproduct of a healthy culture. Yeah. Every single time. Because if you have a negative culture, you may have a year or two that you grow your business and, and impact profit, but your high performers aren't going to stay around because high performing people don't stay around unhealthy places. You're going to have constant turnover. And so eventually it catches up to you. 
I tell business owners this constantly. They'll complain, Mitch, we can't find quality people. No, no, no. You can find quality people. You don't know how to develop quality people. That's the difference. But it's a it's an internal uh, self-aware perception of leadership. And when they can't look in the mirror and deal with the reflection they see, it's very difficult to make those changes. Oh, yeah. And again, it works in the complete opposite way because when you have that healthy culture, people are motivated. Employee mm. morale is high. Retention is high. But what actually happens is they go to their industry networking and they say, it's a great place to work. Yes. I'm quite happy at the minute. Yes. Guys from the next company is like, that spreads across. Suddenly, the people in the universities, the best talent that's going to onboard hears that your company is good. It's a good place to work. Suddenly, you get the best talent knocking on your door, trying to be headhunted desperately by you and absolutely queuing up to come in. And you just attract the talent. Yes. And yet, again, sometimes in business, it's just that short-term view just blocks the fact that you can build so much in the long term if you just look that bit further. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's and it's a very fear-driven culture. I, I have a situation... Um, that I know of specifically where number one salesperson of this store uh, really brings down the whole aptitude and culture of the store. And manager doesn't want to get rid of number one salesman. Why? Because he's number one salesman. But the real reason is, is because owner is then going to call manager and manager's going to get in trouble because he got rid of number one salesman. Even though number one salesman is bad attitude, bad teammate, not working out at all. And I told manager, I said, you, you should never keep people based on sales performance. If that's your one standard of measure, you are not going to last very long. And it's just, I, I, I think, and as a business owner, I get it. You look at the checkbook at the end of the month and you wanna see money. And when you don't see money, you start getting scared and then fear starts guiding you. And that's the worst mistake that can happen. Yeah, and to be honest, it's part of that is actually growing as a person. Mm -hmm. So leading yourself first, learning how to almost control your fear and leverage that courage of stepping a little bit side out of your own comfort zone yes. and actually starting to look at leadership as more an authentic expression of you and then spreading that down because really as a leader, you are in your wagon on the highway at the front driving your big wagon right. up the highway to the company's destination and behind you you've got your managers in your vans and your staff in their cars and what the company really needs is a leader who knows where he's going he's got his sat nav on he's ready for obstacles he's got his priorities in place his physical and his mental health are being looked after so he's not drunk and falling asleep at the wheel <laughs> right. ready to wipe out half his managers. Right. That the managers are actually not being not not swerving around the road, frustrating their employees. They're actually giving their employees space to grow mm -hmm. and follow the same direction. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you use that analogy it's like, whoa, that makes a lot of sense. And right. it's like, yeah. Because when we just look at the figures in isolation mm -hmm. and don't look at how you can develop people, and how actually most of the innovation in your company is from the people doing the job every day. Yes. They know exactly 
what the issues are. Yes. <laughs> and they're the ones who are driving this company from behind. You don't see it, but it's true. Yes. Yeah, but you just said it. When when we look at the numbers in isolation, we're, we're it's almost like taking a book and turning to the, the 11th chapter and reading the 11th chapter and projecting what the first 10 chapters said. And we're missing the whole setup of the story, the foundational uh, building of the story we've missed. And, and we allow that to freak us out. And I, I say it all the time to myself and to others, fear can be the greatest teacher that we have. And when that fear comes out and we face that fear, it's like, okay, what do I need to learn about myself during this moment? What, what is fear teaching me right now? And when we can learn that self-awareness, it changes the game, how we deal with ourselves and how we deal with others and how we run companies. Oh yeah, and that, that's why emotional intelligence is so vital. And I almost say, like, there's many leaders stood by that door, that fear door. Mm -hmm. And that fear door is kicking that one toxic employee out because he's the best performer. Mm -hmm. And they stand there and they think about it and they're not sure and they maybe look at the handle and then they really just open that door <laughs> right. and walk through it. On the right. other side of that door that you fear yeah. is the growth and potential that you're looking for. Yes. And it just takes you sometimes to actually stand up for your own values. Yes. Because at the end of the day, when you when someone starts a company, you have your values, you have a reason to start. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you also have a balance sheet and a business plan and a cash flow forecast. But suddenly there becomes a point where you disconnect from those values. It just becomes about the numbers. Yeah. And when that happens, you get that disconnect very difficult to get it back because your business decision should go through that lens who you employ the clients that you have the people you collaborate with and if you can keep that congruent you'll build a business that is consistent and that consistency over time compounds and gets you to grow into a, a company that still has that same expression of value and it doesn't suddenly go and tilt a little degree off right. and get away with it right. and tilt another degree and get away with it because before you know it they're facing the wrong way and they're in trouble because, <laughs> because right. they're so far right. from where they started they don't recognize where they are and suddenly business doesn't feel so much fun yeah and it's interesting i i actually think that the reason so many business leaders have these challenges is because I think so many, I think there are a lot of business leaders that start a company only for the money. Mm -hmm. In other words, they see an opportunity, they want to take advantage of that opportunity, and they, so they begin a company. The problem with that is if money is your only motivator, it's going to cause a lot of headaches because it's not a sustaining motivator. No. No, and it's at the end of the day, money is not a motive. You need, actually need right. something big. So it, it needs to be something that, you know, is some something that you're strong at, something that you enjoy, because it's going to be difficult, it's going to be dark times, it's going to be challenges. You need the sustained motive to keep going. But really, it needs to be something that, you know, you enjoy, yes. you're strong at, but makes a difference to the world. Yes. Because if you continue to make that difference, that becomes your motive. That becomes what you're known for. And that becomes something that drives you forward. And that becomes your story. Because every company is heart is a story. Right. And as we pivot and move through and change and evolve, because no business is what it started out as, that story stays with you. It stays congruent. Yeah. You are and express those values. 
and that is incredibly valuable because it allows you to navigate different areas of business in a functional way because you still stand take johnson and johnson for example they've got that credo they've got that message that says the shareholders don't come first here yeah all stakeholders are valued and that simple message has allowed them to navigate through good times through bad times through recessions through depressions still here today and they still portray those values and that is incredibly powerful yeah yeah for sure for sure so good stuff but we want to know about you how how, <laughs> how in the world did you end up on this path uh in life oh so it, it's uh it's quite funny when i think about it so i grew up in the north of england uh and my family we we were kind of you know my parents were really really hard workers didn't earn a lot of money but they had enough to keep a roof over my head keep food on the table and i'm a first generation university student so i went off to university and none of my family had ever done that before so that was celebrated in a strange way but i got there and i had my <laughs> challenges while i was there right found myself actually struggling navigating the child to adult transition i struggled a bit with defining my own masculinity in a world where I didn't have the emotional intelligence to dig inside myself, the self-awareness to know, actually, you don't need to look externally for what you need want to be. It's all inside the authentic you. The root of the word authentic is author, write your own story. But I didn't know that back then. Um, so I ended up struggling, isolate myself, failing university, and then having to go back. Managed to graduate, got myself a job as a financial advisor at a national bank here really wanted to help people sort their financial well-being so that they were, you know, happy. They were sorted for the rest of their life. This was 2007, I got the job. Six months later, economic crash comes, lose my training, lose the job, and I'm like, whoa. Mm. I had that path lined up. That's completely gone. Mm. What now? So had a good thing. I'd done international business psychology at university, so I had a lot of different ideas, but I decided I'm going to set up a business. I'm good with statistics, good with figures. I've got a scientific brain. I can do this. Set up a video game company, and that took off. Went up to six figures in 12 months. Went working in local government, so I didn't feel like I was outside of that career loop just in case I needed to go back. But then that then took me on a real journey where the company continued growing, and I then worked with unemployed people, getting them back into work helping them with confidence, communication, and that was handy because it started to make me feel really good when I was helping them. Right. And then I ended up working in elite sport for six months, which was amazing. Seeing the cutting edge of science, the experimentation, the striving for those marginal gains for 90 minutes on a Saturday, and it really opened my eyes to another level of performance. And then all of a sudden, in 2014, over the course of five days, I went from fully independent, fully mobile, living the life so you're stuck in a hospital bed mm. not able to walk and wondering what had happened mm. so what did happen yeah so unfortunately my immune system attacked my joints mm. so it got fused and decided it was going to attack the connective tissue so that literally went from friday when my wrist locked in place to the following wednesday both my knees and my shoulder locked in place and i was completely immobilized I couldn't show myself, couldn't eat, 
I was taken through to emergency hospital and sent straight through to the back when they looked at me and thought, right, he's not in a good place. <laughs> right. And it was, it was challenging because yeah. my son was 18 months old. And he didn't understand why daddy couldn't move. And my wife was six months pregnant and she was having to come and look after me. She had to move in, back in with her parents. Uh, and it was it was rough. And I kind of had that initial shock, like, whoa. And in a lot, a lot of pain as my body was attacking itself. And then I kind of moved through to frustration and despair. Because I'm like, at this point, I was 29. And just a week before, I'd just turned 29, celebrated my birthday and thought, right, I'm, I'm going to have some big plans before I'm 30. And that was blown out of the water, <laughs> like, boom, yeah. like a bomb. Right. And then I kind of, after that despair, I actually hit grief. Mm. I was like, am I going to be able to walk again? Mm. You know, I'm a man. Like, my physicality is important. Like, I kind of pride myself on being sporty and athletic. And like, what's going to happen? Yeah. What actually happened is on that second week, and you get an awful lot of time to reflect, lying in hospital bed, not able to move. Like that, there's, you know, you're struggling to sleep because you're in pain. You get hours and hours and hours to just sink into yourself. What actually hit me was, whoa, okay. So I've been on this planet for 29 years, and not once I've been grateful for being able to walk. Mm. And that just like started to melt into my mind. And it almost like literally went down to my heart and I was like, okay, that's true. And actually, mm. I need to start thinking about this because I've not been grateful for all these people who are now helping me feed, my, feed myself, shower, do really, really basic things. Like I can't even walk to the toilet on my own. And I've got people helping me. I've been grateful for those people. Not enough. And then I went even further. I started to think, okay, so I've grown up in the first world. I've had free education free healthcare, freedom to set up a business, opportunities to work in different industries, never been hungry, never been homeless. Like, damn, I'm not being grateful enough here. Right. It's time for me to attack this disease as much as attacking me. I'm going to take ownership. This is, I'm not sitting in this wheelchair, taking medication and hoping I'm going to be all right. I'm going to get back on my feet. I'm going to do my exercises. And I'm going to go to rehab, go to physio, and push myself until I'm back walking again. Not going to give up. I'm going to decide and have the identity as a man who walks. I'm going to cut off every eruption, go all in on my recovery. Mm. So that's what I did. And not long after I came out of hospital, had to adapt all the things that I was doing. It was difficult. Most mornings I was in agony, stiff. My daughter was born not long after I got discharged. And I was like looking at her thinking, she's a baby. She's got no beliefs. She can't walk. Well, I'm going to wash off all these limits that I've got myself and be like her. And by the time she's walking, mm. I'm going to be walking as well. Mm. And that power of why fueled me through those difficult mornings. I start, I said, I'm going to have, I can't just do what I feel because I feel awful most of the time. Right. right so I flipped right. it and said, actually, instead of how do I feel affecting the actions that I take, I'm going to flip it around and say, my identity is someone who walks. Therefore, my actions are, I'm going to do my exercises. I'm going to do my physio. Then I will feel good. Instead of what so many people do in that situation, don't feel like doing it. So action, don't do it. So identity, I want to be someone who walks, but I'm not doing my exercises. So it's not going to come. And my subconscious is going to be like, I'm lying to myself. So I was like, proactive mindset. Push it, push it. After six months, I was back on my feet. But then 
wasn't walking right, pushed myself probably a little bit too far too quickly, and my lower lumbar vertebrae started to compact together, which is really painful. <laughs> right. But then went back into physio, and after 11 months, I was back walking again, walked a mile unaided, stood by that lamppost and felt like, you know what, if I can do this, what else can I do? Mm. The potential's there. Like, I'm going to push myself further. And I decided I'm going to try and help other people through through the suffering, hit that point because you need those negative emotions to come out at first. You can't bottle them up. We're humans. We've got off that full range of human emotion from the from the depths of despair to the joy and happiness. Mm-hmm. And we've got to experience all that. There's a reason why we have that spectrum. And yet, that point where I flipped, I decided I wasn't going to suffer and have that choice of suffering. It's going to take the choice of ownership, mm. of accountability to myself. And my health outcomes are in my control. This isn't. I've been struck down by lightning here lying in his bed right, right. how do i react to that yeah. it's my choice yeah. and when i kind of slipped into that mindset i choose and i'm choosing not to suffer anymore i'm going to use this suffering and turn it into growth mm. wow so you mentioned earlier in the show that n- next week you're slated to to be done with your medication because you've, you've still been having to take medication for this situation yeah, so my medications control my immune system by dampening it so it doesn't attack okay. me. Gotcha. Otherwise, it would have kept attacking me and attacking me. It's just unfortunately misprogramming. We're only in the early stages of understanding how all that works. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I then decided, after getting out of hospital, getting walking again, like, this isn't the end. I've got this chronic disease for life, so it's up to me to control it because otherwise we're taking this medication and it's toxic. It kills right. your white blood cells off. So it's, what else is it killing in right. the process? Right. Um, and I was just like, I'm, I can't take this stuff. This is stuff that I'm taking in a lower dose, but for a higher dose, they use it for cancer and they use it for mm-hmm. abortion. Wow. That's, wow. How, that's how toxic it is. So <laughs> so I was like, right, wow. I, need to, I need to find a way to come off this stuff. And I've done qualifications in performance nutrition done qualifications in strength and conditioning coaching, I've done qualifications in advanced sleep practitioning, and those helped me get into elite sport. But they also, really, the, the driver for doing them originally was so that I understood my physiology better. Mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. thought, if I can use my experience and qualifications through that, mm-hmm. then can I experiment with my nutrition? Can I experiment with my sleep? Can I experiment with my movement to optimize it for me? Because we're all bio-individual. So we've got our own epigenetic expression. We've got our own microbiome. We've got our own gut enzyme makeup. So there's no point me going and getting a diet plan off the internet. That's, right. that's for someone else. Right. <laughs> Sleep right. schedule. It's for somebody right. else. It's not for me. Right. It's not for you. <laughs> right. It's forever made it. And it's like this cookie cutter approach. Well, with our health, it needs to be bespoke because every single one of us is different. So I then started the period of getting my journals out and gathering data. I was taking pieces of food in and out, different ingredients in and out of my diet to try and work out what energized me, what Mm. can I tolerate, what drains me, what sets my inflammation off, and starting to understand that and get a grasp of that by recording how I felt 
initially after eating it, 30 minutes down the line, two hours down the line. And that process gradually built me to understand exactly what I can eat that does me good. What can I eat that I can have a bit of, I can tolerate it, but what do I need to avoid? Because it's causing me all sorts of problems. It was the same with sleep. Started to look at what chronotype that I had. Started to realise what temperature my room needed to be, how dark it needed to be. Did I need an alarm? Actually, I need an alarm to tell me to make sure I got to sleep. How mm. how light was my room? But also, how was it designed, the flow of it? Looking at making sure that there's not clutter that's causing environmental stress. And actually using breathing to relax and starting to work in waves during the day so I could disconnect easier at night and actually having a defined PM routine and a consistent bedtime, just bringing all those things in together with the movement as well, looking at how much I moved, making sure I moved enough during the day that I had exercise that was functional and was keeping me in as good a shape as possible, but also not pushing so far that I was in pain and I was stiff, but not being so sedentary that I wasn't getting the benefits of that. Put all that together with the mindset of gradually managing pain and understanding my fatigue and building those habits into my life so that I had a good morning routine and a good evening routine just built me to the point where now I take my last dose of medication next week and then I'm controlling my disease by lifestyle alone. And that's massive for me. So have you done enough self-study that you're confident totally that you can control all of this by lifestyle? Like, is that something you've had conversations with, you know, your doctor or something on? What 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 does that look like in exploring the idea of I'm going to get off the medication? Yeah, so naturally, I was always of that mindset quite a few years ago. And I've been working with, with my consultant ever since. And my consultant kind of knows and had those discussions with me. And then a year ago, gave me the go ahead and said, start stepping okay. down. Yeah. So I spent the last year stepping it down. And she was like, there's a good chance that, you know, you step it down and then suddenly at some point it's going to bite you in the ass. But I was like, you know what? I honestly feel I can do it. And I feel that even somewhere beyond that, part of it is in your mind. Right, right. And right. our mind is so powerful that, like when they did the, the knee surgery experiments at Stanford, where they took three people and give them either, either a knee, a full knee surgery and need clean out or just cut a scar in the knee and this is people with, with people with serious knee pain and then recorded afterwards what they all said and even the people who hadn't had any surgery at all reported less pain right. so much right. in our right. mind they all reported very similar levels of less pain whether they'd had the full the minor or nothing just the scar yeah. but obviously they were asleep so they all thought they'd had the same thing yeah 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 it's incredible man it's incredible um how the mind can guide the emotions and the emotions can guide the manifestation of all of that whether we're talking about health or stress or um a few weeks ago i had uh dave low on and we were talking about mental health and that that for some people mental health is a battle for their whole life but how we can control some of that that so that on the dark days it's not as dark and and just learning how to navigate some of that and I, and I think that does I I think what we've done is we've overvalued some aspects 
and undervalued others. So in other words, we can be physically healthy, but mentally distressed, or we can be mentally healthy, but then physically we don't take care of ourselves. And I, I think what you're kind of pointing to is the balance of understanding the whole package. And really what's interesting is this actually has everything to do with business and company culture because, yep. because it's the same model. If one thing is in distress, it's going to cause everything to be uh, out of alignment. And really what we're talking about is getting everything aligned. Yeah, and I kind of almost described that when going into companies, saying that I'm, I'm here in some ways to make you corporate athletes, but yeah. not the athlete that's at the height of performance, but they're gonna die at 40 mm -hmm. because they've pushed that performance mm -hmm. so much that they're not healthy anymore. Right. I'm actually building you longevity you're going to be the marathon runner who's still running at 60 mm -hmm. and still posting a competitive time because you've actually lived to your values and you're not pushed so hard up against that wall of burnout but you've actually managed to work in those waves and right. as a business actually appreciate those and obviously Dave's an interesting character because he's originally from the same part yeah. of the world as I'm still living today right and he's flown himself out to a uh, He's pulling himself out to California, having yeah. a whale of a time. Yes, <laughs> he is. Um, but, he is. Uh, in, in so many ways, it's that interconnection. And a big thing that I actually say is what's really interesting is if you look at high arousal states, mm -hmm. on one side, you've got serious anxiety, mm -hmm. where you've got butterflies, your palms are sweating, you're shaking, you're about to go on stage at a conference, 500 beady eyes looking at you. You just you you're a bit concerned you might choke, so you're there, you're absolutely shaking. You you kind of you blood you blood, you feel your heartbeat going. Right. That's that's negative, right? Because you're you're feeling scared. Mm -hmm. You're feeling anxious. Think about if you're gonna go out there and be excited. Mm -hmm. What would your physiology be like? You'd still have those sweaty palms. You'd still be buzzing. You'd still be shaking. Your heartbeat'd still be going. Because that high arousal state manifests itself physiologically exactly the same. Right. But if you think it's negative, you're anxious. If you think it's positive, you're excited. And so often in that situation, people are saying, calm down, calm down, just just calm down. Right. You can't go from high arousal, neg high arousal negative to low arousal positive. Even a Zen master is right. not going to transition <laughs> right. across that in a few minutes backstage. Right. It's just not going to happen. So you actually start to tell yourself you're excited and you can move yourself just across to a more positive state. And you actually need to be in a high arousal state if you're going to go out and present because that energy comes forth mm -hmm. and allows you to mm -hmm. express yourself mm -hmm. a lot more forcefully. And, you know, you suddenly go out there and you're not looking to, you know, be, be perfect. Right. You're actually looking to connect with the people and you get that. You get that high performance by having high arousal level. And so often people are saying, well, oh, just calm down. That's, that's <laughs> simply bad advice, but just shows how you frame a state can change and how physiologically negative and positive can manifest itself in the exact same way for so many emotive states. I have a perfect childhood uh, example of that that happened to me personally. I was in fourth grade, so probably 10 or 11 years old, 11, 12 years old, whatever age. And I was about to be in a state singing competition. 
And I, and I stood on stage, and the curtains were starting to come across, and I ran off the stage because I was like, I can't remember the words. I don't know what's happening. Conversely, a year later, same singing competition, came back and won. And a lot of it is just what exactly what you're saying. And, and, and again, going back to fear being a great teacher, what, what I've always told people is if you get nervous in situations like that, whatever it is, Ask yourself why you're nervous. Are you are you nervous because you've not done it before? Are you nervous because you're not prepared? Are you nervous because you're worried about what other people are going to think? Like what's causing that nervousness? And if you've put in the work and you've put in the practice, I think that's a part of what allows us to take that shift into from the negative to the positive. Um, I've, I've found in life that when we find ourselves being more negative, it's because in some form or fashion, there's something that we haven't dealt with. And sometimes it's just practicing. Sometimes it's just having the routine of doing it. Um, and, and, and that's what we should be practicing every day because that practice is just going to help prepare us. Uh, but yeah, yeah. yeah interesting. You're exa- I lived it, man. I lived that. That is the only time in my life I've been on stage millions of times. And that's the only time in my life I got stage fright and ran off, <laughs> ran off the stage. Yeah, I've been there as well. I was given a presence, business presentation at university and I got halfway through and completely choked and froze. Yeah. And, and I actually took that personally back then, less self-aware as a bit of a failure. And only when I actually stepped back, removed the emotion from it, decided that it wasn't me that was a failure, but I failed because I hadn't mm-hmm. prepared. Yes. And yes. you can't go back to your failures, unpick them, find the lessons, find the treasure, unless you're actually able to you know, be self-aware enough to say, it's not me who failed, the situation failed. Right. And every failure... There's lessons to take for the future, things not to do, data and experiments to crunch to work out what to do in the future. But like an oyster doesn't create a pearl unless a parasite gets in and attacks it and irritates it so much. That little pearl is like your little bit of treasure in every failure, in every challenge. And you can actually take that and make yourself a necklace over your lifetime and you'll be a lot wiser than the person who just put the head in the sand and never look back on the failures and unpick them. Because again, it's that kind of mindset of just thinking, we're gonna go through challenges. In fact, life is not a straight line. You get lots of bumps, right. it's, like it's like an ECG, right. it's like a heartbeat. Yes. And you've got to have the resilience to bounce at the bottom, to get back up to the top. But people who think that life's gonna be certain and comfortable, well, that's a flat line. And if you've got a flat line on ECG, you're dead. You're so. dead. <laughs> you're dead. Well, I think you just said something that was actually very symbolic when you said, you know, you can take those memories of those failures and what you learned and make a necklace of it. And I think there's something, there's something very symbolic to hang on to what I call those watershed moments, those moments that you learned the most about yourself. But you can only learn the most about yourself if you're willing to go back and explore Um, and that's, that's when you've got to face the shadow, you know, you've got to face, face the reflection in the mirror and go, okay, was I responsible for this mishap or was it something out of my control? Either way, what am I going to learn in this moment in time? And I think it's important not to revisit them to where you revisit that negative experience, but to revisit them to where you can appreciate. You talked about being grateful. And I think, I think having a mind of gratefulness is something that we could all do 
uh, a, a better job at because we forget sometimes. And for me, the gratefulness is birthed from the mistakes that I've made, the humbling experiences. It wasn't a mistake that you made, but it was definitely a humbling experience that made you go, oh, wow, life is a lot better than I thought it was. Yeah, and it's kind of, it's when we look at our past, what's important is that we reflect. Mm-hmm. We don't ruminate. So obviously, like, carries ruminate, they yeah. chew the cud, they sick it back up, they chew it again. Yes. And, it, and some people, sometimes people have that situation where they just bring the past back and back mm-hmm. and back and back. And that becomes the, you know, the thousands of the parts that they have most days. And then they wonder why they don't gradually move and evolve mm-hmm. onwards. Uh, but that power of reflection, to go back and say, could I have done something differently? To be able to actually do that objectively is incredibly powerful because that is data. Our whole life is an experiment. Yeah. And once we actually whack our lab coat on and start to think we're back in the science lab at school and we have that approach to things, then we can willing to go out and run experiments to learn, to find that actually that didn't work, but right. maybe there's something in there. And I think that that experimenter's mindset, that beginner's mindset, like the fundamentals are vital. And your fundamentals are simple, looking after yourself, your sleep, what you eat, moving. If you get those down, then look how much energy you've got to do what you need to do, but then how much energy you've got to do the things that you love doing. Right, right, yeah. Amazing stuff, man. So, where where does life? What does life look like going forward um, for you? You've you've got all this transition that's happened. You've got new challenges. You've got this new company. You're doing all of this uh, self observation. What does what does life look like moving forward? Yeah, so I'm kind of intertwined into a lot of different things. I'm looking to do more speaking. I was doing quite a lot of speaking and education because I'm really passionate about expressing the future of work yes. in human form because a lot of it's in technological form. Well, I'm looking and saying, right, so you guys, you're the future future leaders sat in front of me right here mm-hmm. and you're going to need emotional resilience. You're going to need cognitive flexibility. You're going to need to understand the power of questioning, the power of communication and how to foster creativity. Because as algorithms, machine learn, many processes, there's certain things that they won't be able to do as quickly. Mm. You need to be there. You need to have the emotional intelligence to be the leaders of the future. Yes. But first of all, you need to lead yourself first. You need to be self-aware enough to understand who you are authentically. Then you can help other people lead themselves and being a leader is not about having a lot of followers. It's about helping other people become leaders and empowering them mm. to lead themselves as well. And really, the, the secret of leadership is simple. It's love. Yes. 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 That is, that's, that's the statement of the day, my man. That is the statement of the day. It's kind of funny. Um I, I was reading something the other day about leadership and someone was relating it to social media. And you know, the whole the whole reputation of social media is to have more followers. Yep. And and I don't remember who it was or where I saw it, but someone said, I don't know why everyone's worried about having so many followers to be a great leader. Jesus only had twelve. And <laughs> he did a pretty I thought that was pretty funny, actually. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's always I, I I always like have a lot to say. 
Okay, and unfortunately the death of Mr. Mr. Thomas. And Mr. Thomas, he had 1.2 million Instagram followers. Right. And he had many people following him on Twitter. And he's in his casket today, and there's two people at his funeral, yeah. because all these followers are not here. He cannot attend. Right. He left a few messages saying they liked his social media posts, and that the picture he posted in 2017 was very interesting. <laughs> right, that's his <laughs> eulogy. Do you want to be more following your life, or do you want to make a change right. so that people actually say at your funeral, he was a good man, he inspired people, yeah. he made a difference to the world. Or you can say, oh yeah, he had millions of followers. Oh right. yeah, millions of pounds and dollars. Right, yeah. I know what I want. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great perspective, man. Great perspective. So a few things when we start wrapping up. The, first of all, this has been amazing conversation. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to re-listen and re-hear the things you were saying, which were powerful, so powerful. Um, if someone wanted to, because I know you do a lot of uh, a coaching for businesses, but you also do some some uh, personal health coaching as well. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So if someone wanted to reach out to you. Um, obviously you're, you're in another part of the country compared to most of my listeners in America, but if someone wanted to reach out to you, even for some personal coaching, what would be the best way, um, if you have your website or, or whatever that would look like? Yeah. So the best place to find me would be on essentialize.co.uk and that'll be in the, you'll put that in the show notes yes. and you can hire me there. Uh, but I'm also on social media at essentialize on Twitter and essentialize coach on Instagram. I do already have a few U.S. and Canadian clients, so you will fit nicely into my even delivery. So hop on board if you like the sound of what you hear today. Yeah, if you're listening right now and you're a, a business owner of any size um, and you're looking to do all you can to empower your people mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, I, I would highly suggest you reach out to Lee and uh, at minimum, he can he can offer some advice on what direction to take. At maximum, hopefully, you can uh, you can hire Lee and, and partner with him and helping him and letting him coach you to to take because that 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 is the way things are changing. And and I encourage business owners constantly: if you want to reach the maximum potential of your business, this is the direction you have to go. The day and time of just this just being a job is is gone. And, and sadly, um, in most modern countries, people are working longer and harder. They're not working shorter. And, and you know, that's another subject we can talk about another time, the benefits of not working as many hours a week. But, uh, so, 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 talking to myself. But, <laughs> um, but I think if you're a business owner and you want to reach out to Lee, please do. But if you're just someone that wants some personal coaching, Lee is, uh, has a lot of wisdom and knowledge to share. Okay, man, we, uh, two more things. I have my five questions that I ask each guest at the end of the show. Uh, one word answers only. Um, when I first started this a couple of months ago, the first couple of guests had never heard of it. Now I think people are listening to the show and it's like, okay, I gotta be ready for this. <laughs> okay, regarding uh, books, do you prefer digital or paper? Paper. Paper, coffee or tea? Coffee. Black or do you put something in it? White. White? What is white coffee? With milk in. Oh, with milk in. <laughs> the same way. <laughs> okay, what's one guilty pleasure you have in life? Pizza. Yes, I could agree with that. Uh, one thing that you can't live without? Podcasting. Podcasting, okay. <laughs> I'll let you go there. And uh, favorite season of the year? 
Say that again, sorry, Mitch. That your favorite season of the year, like weather-wise, fall, winter, summer. How do you guys do that over there? Do you call it fall, winter, summer, spring? Or do you call yeah, it something? Autumn, a... autumn instead of fall. That's the only Autumn, difference. okay. Yeah, what's your favorite season? Um, autumn. Autumn, yeah, right, same, same for me. Um, good, you did good. You kept it to one word, nice job. Nice job. You were ready though, I have a feeling. Sometimes <laughs> I follow the rules. I'm, the time I'm the same. I'm the exact same. Um, Lee, this has been great. What's what's one one thought you would like to leave with the people before we before we finish the show up? I'd definitely like to dip in and say now is a time of crisis. You can either see it as a threat or a challenge. Mm -hmm. It's a challenge. Mm -hmm go out there you can be the next airbnb you can be the next uber or for yourself step back reflect start building get closer to your potential your potential is unknowable and you'll start to realize that once you start on that path to find it i love it that's a great way great way to end the show um yeah and and brothers and sisters we are hoping that you are safe and well um, we know that all over the world, especially in America right now, there is a lot of unrest. And um, Lee said it best when he said leadership is about one thing, and it's about love. And we are all um, leaders, some form or fashion, whether you're a parent or a teacher or a coach or a business owner. All of us are leaders, and I just hope that we can lead in love and compassion and mercy um, to those that need it most. So. Follow Lee on Twitter, at Essentialize. Um, in the show notes, uh, you can find his website. We'll also post that on our social media channels. Make sure you subscribe to The Mitch Gray Show. That's The Mitch Gray Show, G-R-A-Y, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on social media, M. Gray Media. And I want to leave you with one last thought that Lee talked about earlier, and that was a statement, take the choice of ownership. That is uh, the wisdom for the day from Mr. Lee Chambers. Lee, this has been great. Thank you, my friend. If you'll stay on the line when we finish up, we'll chat for a second. Brothers and sisters, make sure you subscribe to the show. Make sure you have a great week. Reach out to us if you need some support or assistance or encouragement or inspiration. That's why I bring guests on the show. We're building a small network of people that are ready to influence your life in a very positive way. So have a great day, and we will talk to you next week.